1: Welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Mikael Del Rosario, Cultural Engagement Manager here at the Hendricks Center, and today's topic is Conversational Apologetics. We're going to take a look at how how we can defend the faith, explaining our faith to our skeptical friends, our skeptical relatives and neighbors. And I have two guests in studio today. First is Greg Kokel. Greg is the president of Stand (laughs) to Reason. Thanks for being on the show.
3: Mikael. it's a treat to be here. Thank you.
1: Well, thanks. We're so happy you're here. And we also have Amy Hall, who is a staff apologist who does writing, editing, podcasting, blogging, and a whole bunch of other stuff for Stand to Reason. Welcome. (laughs) I'm really
2: looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, this is awesome. So, Greg, just to start out, tell us a little bit about the ministry of Stand to Reason.
3: Well, we started, uh, we just had our 25th anniversary, and now that's about a year ago, so we're pushing 26 years. And we started... uh, 25, 26 years ago because of a, a couple of reasons. One of them is the conversation between Christians and the community was shallow and shrill, hmm. to put it simply. Mm-hmm. We have the best things to think about. We have the best message to communicate. But it turns out that we, I think, characteristically, we're not thinking deeply about our ideas and communicating our ideas in a profound way to a world that desperately needs what we have to say and we weren't do it in a very gracious way characteristically there were exceptions but it was just it just wasn't good and so when we started stand a reason a quarter of a century ago now the goal was to try to change that the goal was to try to provide substantive responses to the many challenges for Christianity, but also in training Christians to think more carefully about their convictions, help them to know how to engage others Mm -hmm. in a winsome and an attractive and effective way. Way and so our efforts for the last twenty-five years have been geared at developing ways for people to do that, increasing our knowledge, increasing our base of information, trying to throw the ball so people could catch it. So the people who listen to the show are, or or, or watch, or read our stuff, or attend our sessions, or any of that. I say show because I've been on the radio for almost thirty years, and that's a chief part of what we do. Um, that they can get the understanding of the. The information, mm-hmm. and uh, then also get a way of communicating that that's going to be effective and powerful and and uh, attractive to the people with whom we're speaking. So th- those were kind of motivating desires, designs, if you will, for Stand a Reason, mm-hmm. and I think we've been pretty good at fulfilling that that uh, enterprise um, for as long as we've been around, and we found a lot of ways, to, of course, to develop that and to parlay that into different uh, means of communication, mm-hmm. but it's been pretty exciting to see what God has done.
1: Yeah, your show's been very helpful. I know you were on the radio, um, gosh, for a very long time. When I was a missionary in the Philippines, I used to listen to the show in the Philippines. Oh, really? Great. Okay? I didn't know that. So I'm driving Thank around you. the streets of, of Manila, and you're like, <laughs> Coming out to Hermosa Beach, and I'm like, oh, California. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right, right. (laughs) So pretty awesome. And you were in radio before all this, right?
3: Well... Uh, I started radio in 1990, and commercial radio on a Christian station, and in 1993, we started Stand to Reason. So I'd been, uh, in, I was in my fourth year of commercial radio at the time, and so it allowed me then to kind of s- switch my topic on the radio to to more emphasize the things that we were doing at Stand to Reason, so it became a, uh, we dovetailed there, and then after about eight years of doing that, um, we ended up, I ended up leaving my commercial job on radio, and then going back to the same place and purchasing the time back oh, okay. from the station as stand reason huh. so now we own the radio product and so that was right when actually it wasn't podcasts at that time we mm. they had uh, real audio and so we were able to take advantage of that and put it on a bulletin board right when the internet was getting rolling mm. and then podcasts came later on but we had a radio presence podcast essential presence online uh, very early on and that really helped us tremendously
1: yeah well the 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 ethos that you have at Stand to Reason is something we really resonate with here at the Hendricks Center, because we talk about mm. courageous, compassionate leaders marrying right. truth and tone, and following Jesus' example of teaching truth, but also loving people well. Yeah. And that's, that's our seminary motto here. You
3: know, that's, that's great that you say that, because um, I'm just thinking of our three lines of our vision, and they are confidence for every Christian. Courage. Uh, let's see, clear thinking for every challenge and courage and grace for every mm-hmm, encounter. Mm-hmm. So we really have kindred spirits yes. there. Yes. We want Christians to be confident, and we think that if they are trained well, uh, they are going to be more confident and therefore more courageous if they have good answers, but we want them to be gracious in the process. So we're, we're kindred spirits in yeah. that regard, Mikhail. Yeah.
1: Well, Amy, tell us a little bit about your role at Stands to Reason.
2: So I do uh, a lot of writing for the blog. I write and manage the blog. Um, I also do a podcast with Greg called Hashtag STR And on that podcast, we take like three or four questions, and we answer them pretty quickly. And it's a couple of times a week. And then um, I also do a lot of editing. Uh, I used to do a lot of, of managing blog comments, but we've actually ended our blog comments. But that was a huge part of what I used to do also.
3: Hmm. Amy, tell them about hashtag STRS, just briefly how people can participate in that. Oh, it's yeah.
2: It, uh, all you do is send a question to, through Twitter with the hashtag, mm-hmm. hashtag STRask, and mm-hmm. then we choose from that mm-hmm. and answer the questions. Yeah.
1: And so you yeah. field questions from honest uh, Christians and honest seekers, but I'm sure you have a lot of trolls to deal with as well. Is that Some. true? Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay. How, do, how can we be good ambassadors online yeah. as well as, you know, do, do a conversational apologetics yeah. live? Um, but tell us a little bit about the model that you guys teach um, for engagement.
3: Sure. Um, generally speaking, people would consider us an apologetics organization, and there are a number of them out. Now, in fact, uh, very few when we started, but now there's lots and we're thrilled about that. We work together with lots of them, Um, but most of them are focused on giving information. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. We need that. And as you know, our bench is really deep. Uh, We've got lots of answers for the challenges that people are going to face. I mean, when I say we, I mean the larger uh, community of apologetics organizations. Mm -hmm. But we are looking to do something different than give information. That's part of what we do. But we're trying to build a certain kind of a person. Mm -hmm. So ours is an incarnational approach. And the kind of person that we're trying to build, we call an ambassador. After Second Corinthians chapter five um, and verse twenty, where Paul says, "We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were speaking through us." We beg of you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we're in the reconciliation business broadly, mm-hmm. but we are focusing not so much on evangelism but on discipleship. That is, we uh, we train Christians. That's the first three words of our mission statement. Mm-hmm. We want to disciple people to be more effective in the community with the kinds of things that we can give them, mm-hmm. and so. So there are three elements to being a good ambassador when you think about it. If you were going to choose somebody uh, to represent you as an ambassador, if you were a sovereign of some sort, Mm -hmm. you'd want somebody who had a knowledge base that was important for the task. So to communicate the information that you wanted to communicate, they need to know that, understand it. Okay, first thing. Second thing, you'd want somebody that could maneuver effectively in conversation. So another word for an ambassador is a diplomat. So you'd want him to be diplomatic Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Have that kind of shrewdness or cleverness in communication and maneuvering. Uh, But there's something else, because if they knew your message and they were also pretty good at maneuvering in conversations, but turned out to be uh, an alcoholic, a drunk, a womanizer, um, or just plain rude, Mm -hmm. now their character is going to undermine the enterprise. Yeah. And so all three things are really necessary for a good ambassador. Knowledge, wisdom is mm-hmm. what we call the second thing, kind of a right use of knowledge, a mm-hmm. maneuvering, tactical wisdom. Probably we'll talk about that more in a little mm-hmm. bit. And and character. And the way we characterize that at Stand to Reason is knowledge is an accurately informed mind. Um, wisdom is an artful method. And character is an attractive manner. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to produce in the people that we try to influence through all the means that we do, whether it's radio or public speaking or blogging and or or, or, or uh, writing and books that we do. All of these things, we're really trying to build a particular kind of person, an mm-hmm. ambassador.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: ambassadors don't just hang out at the embassy. <laughs> ambassadors get out to where the people are. Yeah. C- they, th- what they do is they connect with the people who <laughs> need the message. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're at the embassy, sometimes they're out. here and there, you know? Mm -hmm. In in our case, in a certain sense, as Christians, the embassy is the marketplace. Hmm. It's the Agora. It's where people would congregate wherever to discuss the things of the day and to participate in the daily activities. Mm-hmm. The uh, marketplace in, in the old days, the Agora, was where people did their shopping and connected in, with other people. Now the marketplace is Starbucks, it's, uh, you know, your, your university, it's the schools that your kids go to, it's the PTA, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's a whole host of different ways that ambassadors can penetrate in the culture and get the message of Christ out to them. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. When we were in the Philippines doing missions. There is an ambassador uh, from the United States uh, who would go and patronize McDonald's American businesses. Uh-huh. There is something congruent there about what she was doing. Um, it's something you would expect for you know an American ambassador to patronize American businesses. Mm-hmm. There wasn't uh, a disconnect, and we don't want a disconnect there when we're talking right. to people about um, Jesus, but then you know acting like a jerk or something like that. Yeah. On the show, Amy either um, on the uh, uh, live call-in show or on the, on the podcast and in your interactions, how do you model this kind of ambassadorship um, in, in direct dialogue with people and then also online?
2: Well, what's interesting about this, and I'll put this in a way that apologists can appreciate, when we think about our character, it's, it's actually a way, it's actually an apologetic because what we're doing is we are representing Christ to people. Mm-hmm. So, in 1 Peter, when it says, we were called so that we could proclaim the excellencies of of, of him who called us, that that passage is actually sandwiched among uh, a lot of behavioral uh, commands and saying, you know, prove yourself to be with someone with good behavior so that they'll glorify God. So, it's actually the case that our character – is representing Christ other people. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing we have to keep in mind, Mm -hmm. that we, whatever we do, we can show the gospel to them by responding to them in ways that they don't deserve, Mm -hmm. because that's how God responded to us. Mm -hmm. So every time they're rude to us and we respond with grace, Mm -hmm. we're actually giving an apologetic for Jesus' character that people need to see. And as it happens, uh, even the big uh, verse that apologists use, you know, to give a defense with gentleness and respect, it actually begins with saying, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Mm-hmm. And that's your your obedience to Christ, that's your character that begins this whole process. So when we respond to them, it, character is a huge part. Yeah, We want to represent Christ, we want to be truthful, we want to be humble. We want to show all the things that make Christ great so they can see
3: who he is. Let me add to that, too, because um, to show the power of that as a significant part of our conversations. And the reason we're emphasizing this is because this is something that Christians forget about lots of times when they're in the heat of a Mm -hmm. discussion. Okay, And if there's heat at all, this is not going to work well for them. Um, There is an atheist named Peter Bogosian over at Portland State University, who has uh, written a book called A Manual for Creating Atheists. Mm. And that is a tactics book for atheists that is meant to train other atheists to make atheists out of people like you and I and your listeners, okay? And one of the things he emphasizes in there is he says, basically, don't get in fights with people. Don't try to tell other people they're wrong. Be nice. Don't fulfill the the uh, caricature of an angry atheist. That will not. Get you anywhere. Now, what's interesting about this is I think that Peter Bogosian has a sense of, of, uh, of, of virtue. He'd mm-hmm. like to be virtuous, but there's no grounding for that in atheism. Mm-hmm. We care about being honorable to the God we represent. He's not representing anybody but himself and his ideas, but he still understands the tactical significance of being gracious. Mm-hmm. And he is really aggressively teaching his people to do that. And if you watch on YouTube, you can see him these nice atheists asking lots and lots of questions cuz they got their their uh, GoPro on and they are very nice and they are not threatening and they are very effective partly because of that mm-hmm. element in their mm-hmm. communication.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Amy, what are some of the differences between live and and online in terms of displaying that character?
2: Uh, I think you're going to find a lot more incivility online. Mm-hmm. There, there are so many people out there who their their whole approach is just rudeness. <laughs> so that's I, I think you're going to you. You're going to have to learn a whole set of skills just for that, just for dealing with them. One of them is uh, Greg has a tactic called steamroller that maybe he can share after I'm done talking. (laughs) That's really helpful with with dealing with people like this. But um, one thing.
3: It's a defensive tactic, by the way. You don't want to be a steamroller. You want to defend (laughs) against one.
2: Exactly. But I, I think. The the key thing you have to remember, whether you're talking to someone online or in person, is the dignity of the the human being you're talking to. And this is what I think makes us different from Boghossian also, is the idea that um, we're speaking to someone who is made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. no matter how rude they're being, no matter how difficult they're being, uh, we have to protect that and we have to keep that in mind. And that will keep us from getting... A response back that maybe they deserve, maybe they don't, but uh, it's tempting. It's always yeah, tempting. yeah. You know,
3: proverb says a harsh word stirs up anger, mm-hmm. but a gentle answer turns away wrath and this is a principle that that we try to employ not only in our uh our, our verbal communication when we're for example online but uh i mean on, on on the air but when in our writing as well you know you mm-hmm. don't want to be poking people in the eye in the way you're communicating because mm-hmm. they're going to react and when the, uh, look at it. here's the deal if anybody in the conversation gets mad if i get mad mm-hmm. i'm going to lose what if i don't get mad and they get mad? Well, then I 'm still going to lose. Mm-hmm. If anybody gets mad, then we're going to lose. that is we are not going to be able to have the positive impact as ambassadors for Christ we want to have so sometimes look at it's not our fault they get mad it 's the message's fault and we have to, we live with that. but we want to try to avoid anything that It makes them unnecessarily angry. Mm -hmm. We want to maneuver in a way with the kind of grace uh, that's appropriate to the message of grace Mm -hmm. that we're communicating.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of this has to do with listening in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, We mentioned steamroller. Let's let's transition to talk a little bit <laughs> about some of the strategies um, that stand to reason I'll explain. let Greg well steamroll- steamroller
3: is a defensive strategy and it's the kind of thing that you employ when you're in a conversation with somebody who interrupts a lot mm-hmm. okay and this actually just happened on the on the on the air last week with uh, with actually a Christian who disagreed with me on something theological um, and uh, three or four weeks ago when I was dealing with an atheist who is actually a Peter Bogosian disciple but a mm-hmm. bit aggressive even for his Style, Mm. And uh, that is when you're trying to respond, because people offer a challenge, you're you're trying to respond, and they're cutting in. Mm -hmm. And when I say cutting in, I mean cutting you off, Mm -hmm. okay? And so you can't get your answer out. And so there's a technique that I describe in a book that I've written on this issue, Tactics mm-hmm. is the title of the book, and uh, that's called Steamroller, how you deal with a steamroller, and there's three steps involved, and just briefly, um, you pause them. So if you and I were talking, mm-hmm. Mikkel, um, and you started right now, jumped right in as I'm trying to answer yeah. I'd I just put my hand up gently, and I'd say, hold on just a second, I'm not quite finished. Mm-hmm. You want an answer, right? Sure, okay. Yeah. Give me a second answer. And then I'll let you back in. Would that be all right? Mm-hmm. So notice how there's, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to talk over that person. I'm acknowledging the problem, but I'm maneuvering around it. And I'm saying, well, hold on just a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of people are just, sometimes they're just overexcitable, yeah. you know, and so they're just jumping in. Hold on just a second. And for is those who okay? are listening, see, I'm jumping in. I'm stepping on you right now, right? <laughs> but for those who are listening, Greg is holding his hand up just oh. just slightly. In oh, a, yeah, know. just a, just a <laughs> little body English there. And there is a sense, by the way, in which there are interruptions that are that are hostile because that's the way they're, inter- I don't know what they call them. They're not interruptions. They are interruptions. Inter interjections mm-hmm. that are normal part of conversation. And I think that's kind of what you did. But I'm talking about, most of our listeners understand this. They've been mm-hmm. in a conversation and bang, 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 mm-hmm. bang, they get mm-hmm. cut off. And they don't even get going. And so then they follow a new rabbit trail and bang, they get cut off again. And it's so frustrating. This is the kind of thing that gets me really angry. One of the few things mm-hmm. that I get really, mm-hmm. I gotta really be careful because that bothers me. But this, and putting the hand up a little bit, and I ne- negotiate and you sh- 90% of the time, that's all that's required to take an appropriate control of the conversation once again. Now, there are further steps if things get out of line and they don't listen. The, the, uh, basically, I say stop them. That's what I just did. Mm-hmm. Second step is to shame them. That is to do the same thing you do in the first step with a little bit more aggressiveness, like Mikkel, I, I want to answer your questions, but you know what? It's really difficult to do it because you keep interrupting me. Mm-hmm. So I need to know, do you want an answer? Because if you do, you're going to have to listen. Now, I can probably tell, even as I'm role-playing this, it's, you're starting to feel a little uncomfortable, you know, with me chastising you in a nice way, uh-huh. but an appropriate way. And that's that's what I mean. Shame them. Yeah. You're not being nasty, but you're really directly addressing the interruption, the bad, rude behavior. So, and and... Look, 99% of the time, that's it. That's all it takes, and then you can have a gracious conversation with the mm-hmm, other person. Mm-hmm. The other 1%, stop them, shame them, leave them. Not everybody deserves an answer. Not, there, not everybody can be discussed, you can, can you have a discussion with that's going to be productive. And there are times you just have to walk away and you say, mm-hmm. well, look, I'm not going to have this conversation anymore. It's not productive. And uh, I'll let you finish. You can have the last word if you want. I have said that to people, even on the air, and then we'll be done with it. So mm-hmm. give me your final mm-hmm. shot, yes. and yeah, I,
2: I don't want people to get discouraged either, because this most of the time, people want to have conversations. I, I think people will be surprised once they start talking to people mm-hmm. how interested people are in having conversations. I worked in the film industry for ten years, and I had. Fantastic conversations. I miss having those conversations (laughs) with people, and so that's one example. I mean, you'd think the the film industry would be a place where people would be really hostile, but they they weren't one on one. Hmm. Uh, The same thing with uh, our former employee uh, Brett Kunkel Mm -hmm. took people on mission trips to Berkeley, and Mm -hmm. they also had great conversations. And so, if in the film industry. On the, and and on a Salt the Lake City,
3: <laughs> and a Salt Lake City with yeah. the LDS yeah. crowd, you know, right. You can
2: have great conversations, but these there are certain things that can just help you when things do come up that are yeah. more difficult. Mm-hmm.
3: You mentioned mm-hmm. our, our former employee Brett was one of our speakers. Now he's got his own organization called Maven M A V I N, where he's really focusing on and what he does best, and that's with youth. So, but the the, the steamroller tactic. Is not one we have to employ very often for the reason that Amy just suggested, but it's really handy when you need it. Mm-hmm. And people listen to the radio show, can see how. I employ that tactic and other tactics as I'm engaging with more hostile challengers, okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the, the foundational approach that we teach in the tactics book, and the subtitle of that is A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions, and I think that's most relevant to the topic that we're talking today. Mm-hmm, How do you navigate mm-hmm. is that our, our core tactic, I call the Columbo tactic, yeah. after Lieutenant Columbo from now four decades ago on TV, but people still remember him, because he was able to solve crimes in hostile circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's the bad guy. We know who it is, the way the mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. The, the the show develops. You know who the bad guy is, who the killer is, but of course, Lieutenant Columbo doesn't, but he comes in in a very unassuming way, non-threatening way, scratching his head, muttering to himself, and then he starts asking these questions. and. And this is the way he gets his killer, you know. And so in a certain sense, I mean, this is the same way we want to navigate ourselves in conversations. So what we as an organization do is a part of our specialty, I think. And this goes to the wisdom feature of being a good ambassador. The tactical wisdom is we teach them how to use questions to carefully navigate in conversations, not only to be effective in moving the conversation forward Mm -hmm. uh, for the gospel's sake, but also to... create a tremendous amount of safety for the individual Christian. Because think of it, Mikhail, I mean, you're doing it right now. You asked our questions. We're doing all the talking, right? (laughs) You got the easy job. We're doing the heavy lifting here, right? But if the Christian who thinks he's got to do most of the talking or she's got to do most Mm -hmm. of the talking to get the message out and answer the challenge, well, a lot of Christians think about that that way and then they think, I can't do that. And then they're sitting on the bench the whole time, okay? Mm -hmm. But if they learn a couple of ways to maneuver with questions, they're putting questions out and the other person now has to do the heavy lifting, which, by the way, they don't mind to do because, as Amy said, they like to converse Mm -hmm. with us about these issues. Uh, Then there's no pressure on the Christian. And in fact, when you're asking questions, you're not even advancing your own view at the moment, so there's no grounds for the other person attacking Mm -hmm. the Christian. Mm -hmm. This gives a tremendous margin of safety for the Christian yeah. And that's why what we've seen when people of believers have started to use these tactics is they've gotten off of the bench and they've gotten into play in a way that they've never been able to do so before.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you go ahead and describe the, the the Columbo tactic in terms of the the questions that okay, that now, would ask. So
3: think about just just think about the the notion of questions. Why questions? For one reason, questions are friendly. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're being friendly to us. You're drawing us out. You're getting our opinion. We like sharing our opinion? Most people do. So when we start drawing people out, that's good manners. The second thing about good questions is that they're going to give you good information. All right? Wow. A lot of folks don't realize they get into conversations, they make presumptions about the other person and where they're at, maybe spiritually or whatever. And but they don't know. We need to get the lay of the land a little bit. And so while we're asking questions Then we're getting information, and it gives us a perspective we didn't have before that allows us to navigate, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll get into more of that in just a moment. But one of the most important things about questions, Mikkel, is that uh, questions— to put you in the driver's seat of the conversation, just like you are right now. <laughs> you, are asking, you are directing this entire conversation. Mm-hmm. You, are, you, you have all planned out the direction you want to go. We're unwittingly, in a sense, following you because of the kinds of questions that you ask. And that's where the Christian wants to be. In in the driver's seat, not controlling inappropriately, not overwhelming, but just make as much as possible getting the conversation to go in the direction that is most profitable for the Christian's purposes. Okay, so there's the general reasons why questions are so powerful. Now, our game plan has three different parts. And when I, when I speak to audiences like I will this, later this afternoon at our big Rethink conference here in Dallas, we, we've got, it looks like more than 1,500 young people are going to mm. be there tonight, um, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the first two steps because I make up a promise. I say, I'm going to give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you know or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be well that's a big order to make that promise mm-hmm. but i fulfill it every time i know this because people tell me that and i see how they use it even though i'm only given the first two steps the first step of the game plan is simply to gather information so i made a reference to that a few moments ago when when i meet somebody on an airplane or in uber like i did yesterday coming from the airport or any place that i want to have a spiritual impact i hope maybe that will happen i don't know if it's going to happen we'll see Mm-hmm. My first job, I don't want to think about winning them to Christ. I'm not even thinking about getting to the gospel. All I'm thinking about is getting the lay of the land. So my first step is to gather information. How do I do that? Well, I you ask questions, questions. Right. Yeah. So I'm just being friendly, making small talk, whatever, at first, drawing the other person out. And, of course, I'm asking those questions. I am being friendly. This is what Amy was talking about before. That's a good start. But I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm looking for an opening. And then if I hear something that looks like an opportunity, I'm going to use my key question for this part of the game plan. And that key question is, what do you mean by that? Or some version. What do you mean by that? By that. So once I saw a woman wearing a pentagram. It's a five pointed star, it's often an occultic symbol. In this case, it actually was. But I found out because I asked her, uh, does that jewelry have religious significance? It turns out she was a witch. But she was happy to talk about her jewelry and her Wiccan convictions. Mm-hmm. How did I find out about that? I just asked a pleasant question about that. What do you mean by that jewelry, basically? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that sticker on your car? What do you mean by that book that you're reading? What do you mean by that tattoo that you have? What do you mean by the T-shirt thing? I mean, you're showing interest in people. And then they start talking. And what's happening now as they're talking is I'm starting to get a picture, a lay of the land, a a kind of a topography, maybe even a spiritual topography, Mm -hmm. or a cultural topography. I'm starting to get a a little picture of where in the culture this person fits. And now I have a map, in a certain sense, based on what they've been telling me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a better position to decide, first, whether there's an opportunity here, because I don't think that every – every discussion is a spiritual uh, appointment, you know, Mm -hmm. a divine appointment. Sometimes we just ship's passing in the night. That's okay. But if there is an opportunity, now I have an idea of where I might go with my next question.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com.
1: Yeah, yeah. Here at the center, we call that getting a spiritual GPS on someone. Yeah, good. And so you get this map, you know, where, the, kind of where they are. And you, the, the challenging thing for many people is turning down the truth meter. Because a lot of Christians will feel like, okay, they just said something that is something I disagree with. Now I have to defend the entire content of the Christian worldview <laughs> because they have you know, an opinion different than mine. Well, the,
3: well this is where that's, that first question comes in so mm-hmm. well, especially when somebody says something I disagree with. Yeah. Oh, well, everything's relative. They know you're a Christian. Oh, well, everything's relative. And so they throw this little line out, and it, this is meant to stop you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. You think you have the truth, but everything's relative. And so then the Christian thinks, well, it's my job to no, it's not. Uh, here's why. The Bible's the Word of God. That's not. Real. And then now, you, now they're off on the wrong foot. They're saying mm. something that's true, but they're not getting anywhere, okay? Yeah. So what's my first question when I hear somebody say, everything's relative? What do I do? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What do you mean by relative? Mm-hmm. For, and then now it's their turn to explain their view. That's what I want to hear. Mm-hmm.
2: Greg, before you go on to the second question, I just want to point out something, because a lot of people, they see Greg's book, it's called Tactics, and they think, oh, this is going to be some sort of impersonal, um, forced situation that you're creating.
3: Conflict. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But what, but what Greg is describing is, is the tactics make your conversation more personal because it allows you to tailor what you're talking about to the person. A lot of people go into witnessing situations and they have set things they wanna say, and it's not necessarily gonna connect with the person they're talking to. Mm-hmm. But the, t- the tactics enable you to connect with someone as a person, as an individual, right. and it's it's not something that just Forces people into the same
3: mold. I'm glad you mentioned that.
1: In many ways, it's kind of a check on you.
3: Yes. First, yeah. Right? Well, it, what it does is it gives you – I use the phrase already, but it. I want to emphasize the importance. It's a game plan. I do this first. If this is successful, then I think about the second step. If that is successful, I think about the third step. I'm not, I'm not going – look, at, at a kickoff in a football game, you know, you get the, you get the ball way down in, in, in the other person's zone, right? And then you don't think, okay, I'm going to get a touchdown the next play. Mm-hmm. No, you work down the field, one play at a time, you're focusing at those plays. If you do your individual plays well, the touchdown is going to be, uh, you know, hopefully an inevit- inevitability. But mm-hmm. that's down there. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to think about the end game, getting somebody to sign on the dotted line, leading them to Christ, even getting to the gospel. not yet. That's down the way. That's one step at a time. OK? And this first step is very genial. Very every step is genial in my plan and I'm glad Amy pointed that out because people think well tactics that's like military terminology. I want, and I say this in the first chapter, I want mm-hmm. people's engagements to look more like diplomacy than D-Day, yeah. okay? And so th- I'm gathering that information, what do you mean by that? And every single time they bring up an objection, they bring up a challenge, I'm asking the same question. Am I avoiding it? No, I'm trying to get clarity on their own view. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's uh, that people have a hard time believing until they start doing this. Mm. It's 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 amazing how often you ask somebody, what do you you mean by that? Or some variation. You, mm-hmm. you mix it up for the conversation, but you're trying to get that information out. It's amazing how often they don't know what to say. they the. And they come in with their sails full, mm-hmm. and the minute you ask for more information, their sails go four sheets to the wind, you know, because they have not thought about it. They're repeating slogans. Mm-hmm. And so what this does is this first question uh, forces the other person to clarify their own view for you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those views get a purchase in conversation because they're never clarified. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by relative? Now, I wrote a book on relativism. I know Hmm. what that means, you know, but uh, I don't know that they know what it means.
1: And you're talking about the idea that there's no such thing as objective truth, that right and wrong are just kind of up to you and me. Well, see, you know
3: what? What you're doing is answering the question. So if you had said everything's relative, and I said, what do you mean by that? That might be an answer you give. Mm -hmm. But that's what I mean. I mean, relativism is the idea that whatever truth claims you're making, moral, spiritual, or otherwise, are things that are simply inside of you and have nothing to do with the outside world. They're not Mm -hmm. objective. They're about your own feelings. And... That's all you can say about them, you know? Um, and so, but I don't know that the other person understands that, Yeah. you know? And I don't know what they mean. They probably don't even know what they mean. And so this is why a lot of times when you ask people, what do you mean by that? You get, well, what, what I call a Simon and Garfunkel response. So this is 60s reference because those are my years. But uh, they wrote a song in 1966 called The Sounds of silence okay yeah <laughs> and that's what you get you get the sounds of silence but you know here's the key about that that is productive I, I mentioned earlier i don't want people to think about the end game my view i'm just trying to do something very simple i'm not trying to win them to christ i, I don't I'm not, that's not going to happen in one conversation anymore It's just not. Uh, I call it gardening as opposed to harvesting. If you don't have good gardening, you're not going to have a hard harvest. So I'm going to go out and garden. All I'm trying to do is put a stone in someone's shoe, okay? I I tell the audience, I'm going to be at University of Alaska next week, Veritas Forum, and I'm going to tell them, I'm not here to convert you. I just want to annoy you in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) And they all laugh when I say that because uh, they expect the Christian to annoy them. I say, okay, I'm your guy, but I want to give you something to think about. I want you walking out of here like you have a stone in your shoe, hobbling away. So so the point that I'm making here, the application of that concept, is sometimes when you ask people, what uh, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And they can't answer. And they're thinking about what they mean about that. That itself can be a stone in their shoe. Mm -hmm. That can cause a seed of doubt in their own mind. I have watched videotapes of Bogosian disciples, the atheist guy, with what he calls street epistemology, and how they ask questions, because they use lots and lots of questions. The atheists are being taught to do this to Christians, and how the Christians are dumbfounded. They are struck silent. They don't know what to say. And you could you can just you can just sense that a cold chill is going up the spine of that believer because he doesn't know what to say. Mm. And now he's wondering, maybe I'm mistaken about my view. Mm. I want the non-believer to to feel the same thing, not with a cleverly worded question to make them doubt their faith, but with a a properly worded question that goes to the facts of the matter and the issue. And that's our tactical approach as opposed to Mm Bogosians. And uh, the power of those kinds of questions, though... And I'm just talking about the first step right now. It it can be amazing Mm -hmm. even, again, if you don't know anything, you're just trying to find out their view. Minimally, you're going to get an education about what people think about things. Mm -hmm. And that is a big plus in any conversation. Mm -hmm.
1: I think there's a lot of patience that's involved in that. Uh, Rather than thinking about what you're going to say next, you're actually listening to understand.
3: Yeah, but you know what? In this case… It doesn't require the virtue of patience for most people. Now, some people are running and gunning, and they want to do all the talking, the Christians. All it requires is for you just to relax and not let the other person talk. And that actually is a virtue for most Christians who are a little nervous about getting in because they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Well, it's easy if you ask the questions. You don't have to say anything. Yeah. This makes them more comfortable about getting into conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. Amy, do you think there's a little more patience required when you're doing this on Twitter or you're doing this on, I don't know, if Instagram, if people do this on Instagram, it doesn't seem like the best platform. I'm but. not
2: in- on Instagram. <laughs> um, Yes, I, I do. I, I, it's harder to use these questions in a situation like Twitter or even Facebook because you don't get the back and forth as easily. So it, it, it's a little bit harder to do there. Um, but you can still do it, you can still do it. One thing that I think is kind of the interplay between the knowledge and the character part is when you have enough knowledge, you have a lot more confidence and that is a huge way to help to help you keep from striking back at people mm-hmm. because when you feel confident and someone comes at you with a challenge you don't get riled up mm-hmm. because you already know the answer in your mind. You already know how to answer them. So you can stay calm. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to keep from jumping in and, and arguing with them and, and just mm-hmm. to keep asking mm-hmm. the question. There's
1: some kind of uh, an apologetic uh, benefit or even an evidential value, I think, to, to a Christian who is confident and is able to remain calm under fire because yeah. the mm-hmm. other person's like
3: – Also, in a written situation, you have more time to craft your response. True. And so even if you're really animated – if we're talking together and I get bugged at you, you can see it. And you could see me something, you know, I give off these vibes, right? But you can't, when you're writing back and forth, people can't see that you're really mad. <laughs> Thank so, goodness. <laughs> so, they, so what you can do, if you're wise... Harsh word stirs up anger, you know, Mm -hmm. so you don't want to respond in kind with them. If you're wise, you slow down, take a deep breath, and then you craft your response that's more even-handed. So that's an advantage that you have Mm -hmm. in writing that you don't have in communication. It takes... A while to build that virtue, that patience you're talking about in conversation, but it's mm-hmm. easier to do in writing. So you you you're, you you're not as likely to respond emotionally, but you're also able to. You don't have to be so quick on your feet, mm-hmm. like you do in a conversation situation, particularly a, a, a you know more of an ideologically hostile circumstance. Yeah. You can craft your response more carefully in that situation but Mm -hmm. using the question even for clarification's sake what do you mean by that or Mm -hmm. some form of that Mm -hmm. in a challenge situation online is is really effective yeah
1: let's move on to the second uh question sure in colombo
3: yeah okay so the first first question is meant for the christian to find out what a person means but now we're not Mm -hmm. done with our questions because what they mean uh, you have clarification on their point of view we also want to know why they hold their point of view. So the first step is to gather information with the question, what do you mean by that? The second question is to what I call reversing the burden of proof. And I know you're really familiar with this concept. That is the responsibility somebody has in a conversation to give a reason or a defense for a view. And the basic rule is the person who makes the claim bears the burden Mm -hmm. of proof. So if a person says something that's so, here, this is so, especially if it's controversial, well, it's that person's responsibility to tell us why we should take that idea seriously. It is not our responsibility first to try to refute it. And see, this is where Christians, especially the more aggressive ones, sometimes mess up. Somebody says, well, that's relative. Okay, everything's relative. Okay, they think, oh, well, I'm going to show you why everything's not relative. Well, wait a minute. You just jumped the gun. You gave that person a free ride because you haven't asked them to defend their own view. They made the claim that's controversial. Mm Everything is relative. Now I want to ask another question. And that other question is some form of how did you come to that conclusion? Or, why would you think that's the way it is? Or, why do you think that's true? Or, what's your evidence for that? Now, we got to be careful that we don't ask that question in kind of a snotty way. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? How'd you come to that conclusion? <laughs> like, you idiot, subtext. Right. No, we really want to know the rationale. And mm-hmm. so, we want to communicate that with the tone of voice. And we want them to offer it. Now, so now we're getting two pieces of information before we have to do anything. The first piece is their point of view, and the second piece, is the reasons for their point of view, mm-hmm. if they have any. Yeah. And this is another ca- occasion where the, the Christian who follows this methodology, uses the game plan, hmm. is going to encounter Simon and Garfunkel again, the sounds of silence, because most people don't have reasons for their views. By the way, this is true on both sides of the aisle, non-Christians and Christians. All right. So most people do not have reasons for their views, and now they're confronted with holding a view dogmatically that they have no good reasons for. So what has the Christian done at this point? Asked two questions. Mm-hmm. Has the Christian offered his view or her view? No. Has the Christian had to defend their view? No. Have they needed to no know philosophy and apologetics and theology? No. They've just asked two simple questions mm-hmm. that are friendly questions showing an interest in the other person. That's mm-hmm. why I say this is a game plan, even with those first two steps, Mikhail, Yeah. that uh, will allow a person to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little they know or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the third uh, question in Colombo. Well, the third use is a little bit more uh, advanced. Um, so first, we're gathering information. What do you mean by that? Secondly, we're reversing the burden proof. How did you come to that conclusion? Now, the third use of Columbo is you use your questions to make a point. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes people say, well, when, when do I get to say my stuff? This is where you get to say your stuff. But you want to say your stuff with questions. In the form of a question. You want to use questions to lead up to either the, the point you're making, and mm-hmm. that could be a point about, the truth of Christianity, or some evidence for Christianity, um, or it could be that you notice a flaw mm. in much of the later t- tactics in the book, uh, like suicide and taking the roof off, and just the facts, mammon, road scholar. These are these are all um, these are all tactics, or inside out. These are tactics to to work with a flaw, but you want to exploit the flaw that you think you see by using. A question mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and uh and instead of just oh see there you go like for example somebody says well you christians are so judgmental okay that's a charge well i say what do you mean by that well you're always you're always finding fault with other people's views is that wrong yeah it's wrong to judge now three questions hmm. now i'm ready for colombo Col- number three If it's wrong to judge, then why are you judging me right now? See, I knew there was a judgment all the time in each of those, but I'm asking a couple of questions to get it really clear. And then instead of saying, well, you're judging me right now, Mm -hmm. you're doing the same thing you say I should be doing, which is true. And that would be a way of doing it. But that would be inelegant. I'd lose a tactical advantage. The minute I, I put it in the form of a question, then why are you if you think it's wrong to judge, why are you judging me right now? I am I promise you because I've seen it happen. This stops them absolutely cold in their tracks, legitimately. And they do not know what to say because it has never occurred to them that they are being just as judgmental in that moment Mm. or intolerant. Mm -hmm. There's another example of it uh, as as the as the Christian that they're charging with that Mm -hmm. with that vice. And they have to think about it, okay? Mm-hmm. So now I've noticed a flaw. This is called the suicide tactic, by the way, because their view commits suicide. I'm just using a question, uh, a question to point it out. So but this is a little more difficult, though, The third, because the third use of Columbo, you got to know something. You have to know the point you're trying to make. Whether your own point using working up to it to questions. And in the book, I have lots and lots of examples of this, mm-hmm. or you have to know the flaw that's just been committed that you can exploit with another question. And again, more examples in the book. Yeah. So the book is just absolutely chock full with experiences I've had on university campuses, on airplanes, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on the radio, all the different mm-hmm. venues in, in the. 35 or 40 years that I've been actually doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I put them there as, as, as devices to help teach how the tactic works and give substance to individual challenges, uh, answers to individual challenges that Christians might face.
1: Yeah, you've really put a lot of what you do on your radio show in this book, and I wish I had this book earlier. Uh, I wish it was <laughs> written earlier. Um, but you know, as soon as it came out, I got it, and I, I began uh, requiring it actually for my students at William Jessup University. Oh, where I it, teach it, it warms the
3: hackles, the hackles of my heart when I find out that any professor has required his students to buy the book. But though you required, I'm sure they're happy that they that it's you really been doing.
1: helpful for for me, and it's been helpful for my students as yeah, well. Thank you. Well, Amy. We've found out recently that um, Barna came up with a study that actually some um, Christians and many millennials will feel like it's actually wrong to share their faith. What advice would you give to pastors, to youth pastors, or <laughs> people working with, uh, with young Christians and working with millennials on how we can encourage people to get out there and have those spiritual conversations?
2: So they actually think it's wrong. They're not just afraid to do it?
1: Yeah. Because they, want, they don't want to feel like they're being judgmental or intolerant toward people. They're afraid to make objective kinds of claims.
2: There are so many things behind that. <laughs> I mean, first of all, they're obviously affected by the culture in terms of relativism and pluralism mm-hmm. and not understanding. I think what could be at the very bottom of this is that they don't really understand what the gospel is. Hmm. Why is Jesus the only way? Mm-hmm. Why do people need to know Jesus? It could be that these these students have no idea what the answer to that question is. Because once you know the answer to that question, why would anyone say it's a bad idea?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because they have to hear it. <laughs> they mm-hmm. have to hear it if they want to be saved. So I think there could be some real theological problems behind this. There's also the philosophical problem of relativism. Mm-hmm. but the, So the, those, are, I think, are the deepest level of this. But there's also the, – they're not knowledgeable about the Bible, because the Bible clearly – what is what is our our, our charge from Jesus? We're mm-hmm. supposed to go out and make disciples. Yeah. So I think all the way along that line there are a lot of things that could be covered.
1: Well, you know, in just talking with, with unbelievers, we you know, we have lost that Judeo-Christian net in, in most ministry contexts where people even know Bible stories, where people even know the very basics of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And Greg, you wrote another book called The Story of
3: Reality, yeah, where yeah. you
1: describe Christianity. In this way,
3: yeah. Let me let me uh, segue into that by picking up on something both you and Amy said here. Um, I think that at the core of the problem here is confidence in the truth of Christianity and the Christian worldview. Think about it for a moment. Who would say I don't want to be a doctor? What millennial would say? You know what? I was thinking about med school, but I don't want to be a med. Go to med school? Why not? Well, because. By then I'm going to have to tell people they're sick, you know, and that's not good news. And so then they're not going to like me. No, if you go to med school, it's because there are people that actually are sick, mm-hmm. and you're convinced they are. And even if they don't like the idea, you have a remedy for them. Many Christians, do. people who identify with Christianity in some fashion, do not believe the gospel and the Christian worldview in a deep, profound sense. They don't think that it represents reality. They think it represents their religion. They don't realize that there's reality to the things that scripture says. And so I've written a book that's called The Story of Reality. And uh, the, the subtitle is How the World Began, How It Ends, and everything important that happens in between. Uh, in other words, it starts with God and it ends with the final resurrection. Uh, now, it's not—it's theological, but it's not really a theology book so much. It's—it's. Mm-hmm. It's I'm a little hesitant to make this comparison because there's only one C.S. Lewis and one mere Christianity. <laughs> but nowadays, a lot of people won't read mere Christianity because it's too hard for them, which really surprises me. However, what I tried to do is to try to cover similar ground that Lewis did in a similar style that is very accessible to the people in the population. And when he wrote mere Christianity, that was accessible to people 50 60 years ago. Now, I think it takes a little different approach. And so I've tried to Word, wordsmith, and I had tremendous help from Amy. I just have to acknowledge she's a fabulous editor. We work very closely on the things I write um, in a way that makes it very accessible to, to people. And we cover five major points: God, Man, Jesus, Cross, Resurrection. And here I mean the final resurrection. So God made everything, including human beings, to be man to human beings to be in friendship with Him. But they got themselves in a heap of trouble. So God initiates a rescue operation by becoming a man in the person of Jesus. God, man, Jesus, and he does something on on the cross that will determine what happens to everyone in the final resurrection, God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. So now you've got kind of a, really, you you probably recognize a a type of systematic theology Mm -hmm. going there, but very accessible, but you also have the plot of the storyline in the order that things took place. Mm -hmm. And you have a five-point outline that my, my daughter, when she was six years old, knew, so it's easy to keep track of if you want to explain the whole story Mm -hmm. and a huge part of what we're explaining with the whole story is not just our religious view Mm -hmm. but this is the story of reality. Bible stories they're not just stories they don't start once upon a time they start ours, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, because it's not meant to be understood as a myth or a fairy tale. It's meant to be understood as an accounting of of what has actually happened and will happen. And so part of our task as apologists is to defend that accounting. But in here, I want to give a clear characterization of the accounting, and I have what I call soft apologetics kind of built in so that it gives us good reason to take the account seriously it is very reader friendly it is very non-christian friendly i always had the non-christian in mind when i'm writing this book because i want any christian to be able to give the story of reality Mm -hmm. to any of their non-christian friends and not be embarrassed Mm -hmm, okay mm -hmm. and i think it's fulfilled that and also from what i've seen on online like at amazon in the comments it's got a 4.8 rating out of five. That's the average rating of almost 300 people weighing in now. Mm Wow, I'm pretty happy with that. So, uh, And the same thing for tactics, by the way, though a different audience, more Christians there, and this is a mixture. But um, in any event, I think this is going to be key to solving this Mm -hmm. problem that we're Mm -hmm. talking about, the confidence level. If Christians are more confident that their story, their account, is actually the story of reality, Mm -hmm. the accurate one, it is going to give them uh, more confidence to step out. The tactics. Book will give them a game plan, and all the rest of the team, you and all the rest of our colleagues, are going to be giving the information base that will help them to answer the particular challenges that they're facing. Yeah.
1: Well, our time has flown by. Thank you it has. so much uh, for being here um, and just for the ministry that you do, helping equip Christians with knowledge, wisdom, and character to be ambassadors of Jesus. And thank you, Amy, for being on the show. Can we give the website, by the way? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. How can people uh,
3: connect with you guys? It's str, stand to reason, str.org. That's the easiest way. If they want the podcast. Of course, they can go to iTunes and get and look up Stand to Reason. They can podcast there, or they can just go to our website and mm-hmm. sign up there. And I, I want to make sure I want to encourage people to put a, uh, the Stand to Reason blog, which Amy is in charge of. We have a number of bloggers, but that's one of her main contributions to Stand to Reason. Uh, to put that on their daily shopping list or where the watering hole, basically, so every day they're checking that out because we have we have um, uh, it, we have um, what do you call it? postings every single day, and um, this is the kind of thing that will allow them to stay up with the current developments in our culture, with thinking that will allow them to see this from the context of the true story of reality.
1: Oh, thank you, Greg. Thanks You're for welcome, being on the show.
3: Mikhail. What a fun, what a fun time we've had together with you.
1: And we thank you so much for joining us on the Table Podcast. If you have a topic that you would like us to consider for a future episode, please email us at thetable@dts.edu. And stay with us next week on the Table, where we discuss issues of God and culture.